Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. This is Beth Heaton. I have, as I frequently say, feel like I haven't been here in a little bit, but that's just because I'm used to being here every week. Um, But the good news is uh, you have more than made it through the first big deadline of the application seasons for for those seniors and parents of seniors who are listening. You know what I mean for those who are younger It is all ahead of you, but that's okay. You're here, and we're going to help you get through it in hopefully as painless a way as possible. Um, Your work is not done, those of you who are seniors. uh, I know the temptation is great to simply say, well, I have my early round applications in. I can take a breather. I don't need to be thinking about this until I hear from those schools, and then I'll worry about the rest later. And the answer to that is no way. You need to be working on all of your other applications so that when you find out what your early schools say, at that point, uh, you're ready to submit if you need to. And if you don't need to, well, who cares? So you put a little extra work in. Um, The good news is you got in where you wanted to get in and uh, you got the financial aid package you wanted to get and you're all set. So good for you. Uh, So today, what we're talking about, we are going to be looking uh, a little bit at honors colleges. We're also going to be going through the University of Virginia supplement. So for those of you who didn't apply in the early round uh, and are still facing that supplement, we're going to give you some ideas and thoughts on that. But before we get to all of that, um, one of the cool things about this show, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is that We help you understand what happens behind the scenes because we've all been behind the scenes. Uh, And you might be curious if you are wondering how the heck you're going to pay for college, what happens after you submit the FAFSA and the CSS profile? And so I'm very excited to welcome my colleague, Michelle Clifton, who also happens to be a former Babson and RISD financial aid officer, to the show to talk to us about that. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, question of the hour. Uh, What happens after families press submit on those two important components? Uh, Well, the profile isn't required everywhere. The FAFSA is if you want financial aid. But what happens when you submit those two pieces uh, to the colleges? Yeah, absolutely. So, the information ends up being sent electronically to each college that was listed. And then during the busy processing season, this is done daily, the financial aid will load in files into their system so that they can see, you know, anyone who's applied either through the VAPS or the profile or both. And then they'll compare that with the admission data that they receive showing who has been accepted or waitlisted or denied. Um, So they'll go ahead and start their processing of the ones that they know are accepted, and they'll continue to to work on those as the admission office is uh, accepting applicants as well. Got it, which is an important point, right? Because in other words, what they're not doing is packaging students before they've been accepted. So they're not going to spin their (laughs) wheels and put together a package for a student who is going to end up denied um, because that would be a waste of time. Uh, All right, big question. I would say this is the question of this time of year, whether you're working on the finance side or the admission side. How do I know? How can families be certain that the college actually received their FAFSA and or their profile? Yep, that's a great question. So you'll, the applicants will get an email for each of them. So the profile will send you an email confirmation, and the FAFSA will send what they call their student aid report. But you don't necessarily – that doesn't – I mean, it shows it's been processed, but still you, you're not 100% sure that the school has it. So the best way to do that is, you know, a lot of schools now will have an online portal for the application process. So log into that and check that and see if you can see all the um, requirements that are listed for financial aid. A lot of times it will show, you know, the FAFSA and it'll say, you know, received, incomplete, not received, something like that. Um, so check that first to make sure that it's showing as received. Um, if not, you know, either send a quick email or call the financial aid office to double check. Uh, but you do want to make sure that, that they have everything they need by the their deadline. 
And so here's a big question for you, because I always tell people on the admission side, you know, sit tight for a little bit because things are being processed. Yep. Um, you know, do you, do you call the day after the deadline or what would you recommend in terms of if you're not seeing information in the portal or the school doesn't have a portal and you don't receive anything, when and how do you, you, ref, you just recommended calling to follow up, when would you do that? Yeah, of course, I come from a perspective of working at a smaller college, so, you know, I think it it's it was more okay to call, and we ended sure. up with our <laughs> call, and, um, and obviously, it, we financial aid, they're not getting as much people calling as the admissions offices, um, so that's always my first thing to say. I would say give it a week, especially if, it, if it's a school that has a portal, keep checking that. Give it a week if, if it after you've submitted it, if you don't see anything at that point, call or email. Um, but if it's coming up on the deadline, I'd, I'd reach out a, at least a couple days before the deadline just to really make sure that they have it because um, some schools can have pretty strict deadlines, and if they didn't have it by the deadline, they might not consider you for all of the funding that's available. Right, right. And I would the only thing I would add is if the portal says give us two weeks, then give them two weeks before yep, you call, exactly. right? Yeah, um, I think a week is a really good idea. But, you know, we one thing that I, I find that families don't do a great job of, and quite honestly, I don't want to put it all on families because I'm not sure schools do a great job of always making it clear. Every school is a different website. Every school is a different portal. And it's not always obvious um, where to go or how long to wait or any of that stuff. But make sure you read everything the school is put in front of you before you pick up the phone and call. Because nine times out of 10, the answer is there. You just have to spend a little bit of time reading through everything. And that's something some people don't love to do, but I would encourage you to do that. Um, what about, what about, so you've submitted the FAFSA, and then all of a sudden you realize either you filled something out incorrectly or something changes, like you lose your job or your spouse loses their job or, you know, your ex loses their job. You need to make a change. How do you go about doing that? Sure. So the information is based on a specific year, and it's, it's two years prior. So applicants that are applying now are reporting 2016 income. So if they report it as as it was on the taxes, then there shouldn't be anything to change. Um, even if there is a change in circumstance, that's a process um, to go through the admission, I mean, the financial aid office later. Um, but as far as changing the application, if you realize you submitted something wrong, then you can log into the FAFSA after it's been processed, usually takes a couple days. You can go back in with the student's FSA ID and edit the information you need to. Just remember, you have to go all the way to the end of the application and submit it. Um, so that the correction will get processed and sent to the schools. Got it. And then with the profile, is it the same process? No. Yeah, so the profile is interesting. It's You can't change it after it's been submitted. If you've, say you've submitted a profile to one school and then you realize you need to add another one, you can make that adjustment for the second school if you haven't submitted that one yet. But once it's submitted, it's submitted. So a lot of times schools will say, you know, print a copy of the uh, application as you've submitted it, um, showing all the data that you've um, put on there, and then right next to it what the change was, um, and then send it to the financial aid office, whether it's by mail, fax, or email. Um, if it's one specific item, I think a lot of times that it's easier just to email the financial aid office that one item and explain, uh, but I think it's really worthwhile to explain why you're changing it, um, especially if if you're not, uh, if there's no data to to kind of prove what it is, because I know when I was reviewing applications, if someone was reducing a number, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily even make the change on my end until later on if, if I saw the tax data. Um, Got it. Because we, we, I always wanted to be um, as conservative as possible in the first round, and if all of a sudden someone's saying, oh, no, my income is 20000 less, you, know, you kind of question that. Got it. All right. So um, in terms of what colleges actually do with this information, what do they actually do with it once they yep. get it and the student has been accepted? Yeah. So they'll go ahead and review it. So for schools that have the FAFSA and the profile, uh, which I, I, was from my perspective, we would go through and compare the information that was reported on both. So, um, of course, when I was in the financial aid office, we weren't uh, 
we were looking one year back, so taxes hadn't been done at this point, but it, I would see which one was higher. So if someone put a higher income on the profile than the FAFSA, I would update the other one to show the higher figure, um, just so that I was going out with the most conservative offer. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if there are any discrepancies on, on assets, that you would look at that. Um, so basically what they're doing with the information is their system's calculating what's called the expected family contribution for the FAFSA, and then also a family contribution for the profile. And then you compare that with the cost of attendance at that specific school, and then from there figuring out how much federal, state, or institutional funding that they can provide based on that um, and based on their policies. Okay, great. What about if they're going through that, you're going through that information, you notice something is missing. Do you reach out to the student, to the family, and let them know? Yes. So... Um, if I was reviewing something and, and saw that something was missing, I would oftentimes send out an, an email letting them know that. Um, but m- a lot of schools will do a more formal process where they'd send a, a, a letter or an email. Um, so I think it's really important for families to be on the lookout for notifications from the financial aid office because that can certainly uh, slow things down if they're not responding quickly. Right. You want to check your junk folders. Sometimes I recommend that families um, create a special email address just for these types of emails so that you are, uh, you know, looking at that account and it doesn't get lost. Um, That's that's something else you could consider. Um, And then I think here's a big question. And I get this on the admission side, too. Are they going to question anything that you're reporting? Are they basically you're looking at it and you're going, looks right to me? Or do you ever say, gee, I wonder what's really going on here. I'm not sure this is accurate or truthful yeah. or how does that work? Yeah, I think this, this, ha- this certainly does happen, and especially at profile schools, because you see a lot more data on the profile than you do on the FAFSA. You, know, you see every family member listed and where they're going, if they're in school, where they're going, and there's just a lot more information there. So if something doesn't make sense, you know, that you reported four people in your household, but then you listed out less or more on the profile, you know, that might come into question. If you put zero on anything that might not make sense, like for income or assets, that's definitely going to be questioned. Got um, it. You know, that they definitely are looking to make sure, make, see if it makes sense, and, and they will question you on it. Um, right, if it doesn't. reaching out to you right away. Is there any way that they know that whether or not the information you're reporting, let's say your income or um, any of those other things, is there a way for them to know if it's accurate? Yeah, so there's a process called the verification process. So some schools will verify everyone. So everyone needs to either use the IRS data retrieval tool that's on the FAFSA to pull over the tax data from the IRS or submit taxes um, by paper um, to confirm the information that was reported. Um, Others will only select those that were selected by the FAFSA. So the FAFSA will go through and, and select certain applications for verification, and if that's the case, you have to go through the process. Um, but then there's other schools that will request it from everyone. So some of the items that they're going to confirm, they're going to check your adjusted gross income, taxes paid. They're going to confirm the number in the household, the number in college, um, and some other items. Got it. Okay. And in one of those schools, if you're applying to one of those schools where they don't verify everyone, would you know if you were selected for verification? Yeah, so that is going to be on the student aid report, which you receive after you submit the FAFSA. Uh, But then also definitely take a look at the financial aid office website of each school you're applying to to see what their process is. They should list out on there if they're one that that asks for for it from everyone. Um, A lot of profile schools will will ask for verification from uh, the majority of their applicants. Um, And a lot of those profile schools use a, not everyone, but many will use a a process called the College Board IDOC service, where mm-hmm. um, the College Board is collecting the tax data. So you might get an email from IDOC. I used to get that question all the time because it, you know, families weren't expecting this email. They wanted to make sure it was legit. Um, and then a lot of schools now are also using um, third parties to collect their data um, for them. So they might get notifications from from an outside source too. So. You know, you can certainly check the financial aid office website as a first look to see what the process is. And it sounds like that's a good idea because if they are going to use an outside um, service, you're going to want to know that that's legit and that you should be expecting it if that does come. 
Um, last question for you. When do they release the award letters? So all of this work culminates in an award letter. When do you get that? Yeah. So best case scenario, it would be with your acceptance. Uh, so some schools do try to make that happen, especially if you're applying by their deadline. Um, others will come out shortly thereafter. Uh, but the the biggest question I would always get in a financial aid office was, where's my award letter? And we were actually missing something. So make <laughs> sure you're not missing something. Um, if they have a portal, you know, we said it before, yep. check it, see, see what's Thanks. there. Um, some things could pop up later. You know, if they're questioning something, there might be a new item there that they that they want to collect on uh, before they move forward with your application. So if you, if you receive a, a letter, email, anything coming from the financial aid office, respond to it quickly. That way they can hopefully get your package to you as soon as possible. All right, Michelle, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Next up, after the break, we're going to be talking about honors colleges, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are uh, talking about honors colleges in this next segment, and I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Lisa Albro, who happened to be a former admissions officer at Goucher College and also worked on the high school side at a number of private schools uh, in the New Jersey area. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Beth. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. All right. We're talking about honors colleges, and I feel like I get more questions about this every year. And in fact, I had a couple of students applying to honors colleges this year in addition to um, some private schools. And it seems to me that this is becoming a, a more popular option. And so for our listeners' sake, why don't we start with the really basic question, which is what are honors colleges? What are we talking about here, honors colleges? Sure. So years ago, public universities wanted to find a, a sort of a niche uh, for their more high-achieving students, you know, uh, applicants who might also be applying to Ivy League schools and, and very, you know, high-level, even kind of the little Ivies and, and colleges just below that level. But they were looking for ways to attract those candidates to them. And they figured if they could create kind of an enclave, like a little college within a university in a way, for those really high-achieving students uh, that would kind of amp up the prestige uh, that might attract them. And, and they sort of accomplish that, I think you could say, at a lot of mm-hmm. public universities. Uh, many honors colleges out there today are quite difficult to get into, quite selective. Uh, some students need to apply for, and some they just need to apply for admission, and they're considered 
as, as part of the uh, admissions process. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about how the experience of attending an honors college can differ from just attending the college. So, for example, I have some students who are applying to some very large state schools, um, but they're also applying to the honors college within that state school. And, um, and you know, not all state schools are huge. The one I'm thinking of in particular is enormous. Um, and, and I'm curious about your thoughts on how the experience might differ. Not just about that one, but in general. Sure. So there's still students at that very large university, of course, but what the Honors College will do is give them a little bit more, um, I guess, a, a, I don't want to say shrunken down because that makes it sound like they don't have the vast opportunities, but it's, a, it, it's almost like taking a, a more of a liberal arts framework of a college, that, that kind of close-knit, that, that smaller class size, uh, maybe more engagement with professors. You know, in, in all cases, you're not sitting in these giant lecture halls. Uh, I can't say that they won't sit in some giant lecture halls at some point mm-hmm. in their academic career there, but there will be a set number of courses that they'll be taking through the Honors College that will be just for Honors students in most cases, with a few exceptions, but just for Honors students. Uh, they might might be in a little cohort of those same honor students from year to year. Uh, in some cases, there's special housing for honor students. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an honors distinction on their on their diploma uh, or on their degree, rather. Uh, so it's it's just kind of like taking a. I, like I, the word I used before was enclave, making a little enclave within a much larger setting. Right. And I, you know, I like what you were saying too, a college within a college, which in many ways it kind of is, right? And and I think what's cool about honors colleges is they typically bring together students with all different types of majors. So, you know, you might be an engineering student and your fellow honors college um, mates might be majoring in things like English or um, biology or, you know, a wide variety of things. So if you're in primarily in classes with engineering students, well, the Honors College might also give you the op- exposure to students in other majors, which is, like, your, to your point, more, a more of a liberal arts kind of experience, right, than just simply Correct. being in one little, one little group of people. Um, exactly. And, and who do you, when you're working with students, um, or for students who are listening right now or parents and thinking, well, sh- is this something my child should apply for? To your point, at some schools you don't apply. They just automatically consider you for the honors program. But a lot of the programs do require an application. And um, first step in that process is deciding that you want to apply. So who, would, who do you suggest consider an honors college? And, and how do you recommend they decide if it really seems like the right fit for them? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great question, Beth. And, uh, you know, when I'm working with students who are really committed to their education, uh, they're willing to go the extra mile, they kind of want to strive for a little bit more in everything that they do, those are the kinds of students I usually say, okay, I think you should be thinking about an honors college. And the reason why I say those students is that there's a lot involved for, for the schools that need applications to the honors program that, there are quite a few essays, or, or maybe one essay, but it's very deep. Uh, they really are looking for that student that goes the extra mile, that has that strong academic background, that, you know, taking lots of AP courses and, and, and all that sort of thing. Let's say, can I take one for example? Uh, Penn State University has the Schreyer Honors mm-hmm. College, which is notoriously difficult to get into. Uh, I've had students get into Ivy League colleges and universities and not get into Schreyer Honors. <laughs> so. Well, I've had, I've had students, when, in my time at Penn, get into Penn um, and choose Schreyer over Penn. So, right? Like, they, it's a great program, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of reasons they might do that, but to your point, it is no slam dunk. So, anyway, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's okay. It, it's, like I said, it's a real commitment, and they really need to, they have to be willing to, to, to go all in. Uh, for those programs that they're applying to, uh, generally that's a four-year, a four-year program. Uh, some colleges might let students apply in once they're already students there, once they're already freshmen or sophomores. But there are a few out there that stipulate that it's a four-year program and they want students to start as incoming freshmen and, and hence the application process is, is pretty intense. 
for right. an 18 and year old, 17 year old. Absolutely. And what I would add to if you're thinking about whether or not you want to apply is you really should be looking. It's not just to say, oh, well, I'm one of the best students in my school, so therefore, of course, I'll do the honors program. You really want to think about what are my goals for college and what is the major that I want to pursue and what are the honors college requirements? Because it it might happen that based on what you want to major in and what the honors college requires, that that's all you're going to have time for. And if you're looking forward to college as an opportunity to really explore a bunch of really different things and you know, have more freedom, the honors college in truth might represent slightly less freedom and Mm -hmm. that might make it not a great fit for you. So I I wouldn't say it's an automatic, but I do think if they have the the elements that you mentioned, Lisa, it certainly warrants taking a look at the, at the college and the program that they have to offer. Definitely. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, you mentioned that there can be a lot of things involved in applying. Um, I, you know, I'm thinking about Clemson, where um, I don't believe you have to write an essay, but um, they're pretty straightforward about the, um, the expectations they have for grades and test scores, and it's quite high. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, also Arizona State has a great honors program. You do have to write an essay. It's pretty unique and specific and not necessarily a super easy one to write. Um, but I think there, um, you know, the levels that you need to attain in terms of test scores and grades to be competitive, at least, um, mm-hmm. is not, you know, not as high as the program at Clemson. Clemson's program is much smaller. So they mm-hmm. are going to differ from school to school. Um, other things that you think about when you think about what's involved in applying to these colleges or, you know, any specific examples that you mm-hmm. could share. Right. Well, I mean, I'll go back to the Schreyer example. There are three essays required for that honors yeah. college. Now, if students are applying to the university itself where there is an essay option on the application, very often we've talked about the fact that that essay may not get read uh, in the admissions process. But right. those honors college essays, you better believe they're getting read, and they're getting read with great detail, with, you know, attention to the detail. Uh, they can't just phone these in, as one of our colleagues was saying to me. They really have to work at these and get the facts to back up their statements and just give the reader a real sense of their ability to think at a higher level, not just sort of write something, but but kind of dissect a question and give the depth in that response of someone who would fit in the honors program. Right. I would argue that they're looking for the same quality and level of writing that you would look for at the most selective schools in the country. To your point about students who've applied to Shires and not gotten in and gotten into Ivy's, the fact Mm -hmm. is that, you know, that level of writing that is expected um, at those schools, you're going to find that same expectation at the honors colleges that require essays. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that makes sense. Um, what, anything else you would want to mention about, you know, the honors programs in terms of, um, you know, any specific examples that we could give to our readers of, of honors colleges to take a look at or think about? Sure. Well, I, I think about University of Michigan. Every year I have a lot of applicants to University of Michigan. So they're applying to the university they need to get in first and then apply to honors. Yep. Once they're accepted, right? Uh, and that's also a fairly involved application process. Uh, University of Texas has the Plan 2 honors program, which kind of differs from a lot of honors programs in that it's uh, the core curriculum is the major. So that's, you know, to your point earlier, if students are thinking they want to uh, try something on for size, you know, that might be a program that allows them to try on a few different things for size since the core curriculum is more of the major. Uh, right. There are four-year interdisciplinary arts and science majors with a core. Uh, the curriculum is really designed to kind of build on itself in that program. Um, so that, that's one to think about. But then you have places like, let's say, here's University of Maryland. have lots of applicants there every year. Students don't need to apply separately to the University of Maryland uh, honors program, strong honors program. A lot of different offerings uh, they can choose once they're uh, accepted. There are several different honors 
programs. There's university honors. There are some focused two-year programs in a couple of different areas. One of them is humanities. One of them is integrated life sciences. Then there are some four-year programs and some really advanced things, um, advanced cybersecurity and the gemstone program, they call it. There are also departmental honors programs at, at a lot of universities, and Maryland is one of them as well. Uh, so, so many different options. It doesn't just have to be a one-size-fits-all, and it, and it can't be. It won't be uh, from school right. to school. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think that the overall message to listeners is that honors colleges can be really amazing opportunities, can offer really amazing opportunities to the right student. Um, and that if um, the other piece is that if finances are a concern, you're not going to qualify for a lot of financial aid, um, that one of the first things I might do for, especially for a pretty talented student would be to be looking into the honors college at the, your local state institution and, and seeing, you know, if that makes sense for you. Um, Lisa, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You bet. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking through the UVA supplement. Uh, and if you still have that ahead of you, I don't think you want to miss this one. So uh, stay right where you're at. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes, Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are going to be talking about the UVA supplement in just a minute. But before we do that, I did want to talk, do a school spotlight. And today, um, the spotlight is on the University of California, Santa Cruz, in honor of the fact that the UC system has their portal open and is currently accepting applications, but just until the end of November. So if you like what you hear about UC Santa Cruz, uh, you have uh, only a few more weeks to apply. Um, so, University of California Santa Cruz is on a 2,000-acre campus overlooking Monterey Bay, um, and that is beautiful place if you have ever had an opportunity to go there. Um, but cool thing about the university, it combines the characteristics of a kind of a smaller, supportive liberal arts college with a major research university. Uh, so, all of the undergraduate students are affiliated with one of the university's ten residential colleges. Uh, and that provides an intimate college community through shared academic and social experiences. Um, college themes such as international and global perspective and self and society attract students from a wide range of majors, um, and it creates a really diverse uh, living environment for students. As a research university, UCSC offers students the opportunity to work closely with professors on research topics ranging from artificial intelligence 
to visual and performance studies. Um, and how cool is it that a team of UCSC astronomers recently discovered evidence of water clouds on the coldest known object outside of our solar system? So it's literally cool that they did that. Um, some of the more popular majors among the university's 16,000 plus undergrads include psychology, biology, and econ. Um, and perhaps one of the most compelling elements of the university is that when students need a break from their studies, they can take advantage of more than 25 miles of hiking and jogging trails, um, two sandy beaches right nearby, um, and also you have probably what I would consider the best school mascot of all schools that are out there. Um, it is the banana slug. So who wouldn't want to say, go banana slugs? Um, so that's the University of California, Santa Cruz. Take a look. All right. Now, on to uh, our main event. I'm super excited to welcome back my colleague uh, and former Franklin Marshall and Georgetown Admissions Officer, Karen Spencer. Hi, Karen. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining. Um, and today we're talking about UVA, which is particularly fitting because you live in the Virginia area and work with lots of students applying to UVA, although I will say I live in the Massachusetts area. I also work with a lot of students applying to UVA. Um, and one of the things that we talk about internally is just this is a pretty involved application. It's not necessarily straightforward or super easy, so we thought we'd talk about it today on air. Um, all right, let's get right into it. So, um, the first piece of the supplement asks you to choose one of four topics and write a basically a 250-word essay in response. Um, so you, students have a choice here. Um, first choice, uh, option A, one of my favorites. And the question is, what's your favorite word and why? So how do you tell kids to start thinking about this one? So let me say from the get-go that I love these essay prompts. UVA's yes. supplement is one of my favorites to edit. Um, I love that all of these essay um, supplements are, are 250 words. Um, I think our colleagues and us had a, we all had a conversation about how we wish every college dean um, or admissions dean made their essay prompts 250 words. I think it yes. generates better essays. You kind of have to get in and get to your point and get out. Uh, if they're easier to write, they're more focused, they're more targeted. Um, and I actually am friends with the dean of admission at UVA. He's a friend of mine and a former colleague from Georgetown, and I actually emailed him um, earlier this fall just to say, I said, thank you for not, um, I, I don't think it was actually his, his idea. He's, these prompts have been around for a while, but I said, thank you for not changing these because <laughs> this is the best thing ever. So let me just say right there, props um, to UVA for making these short and very specific. Um, um, but that said, this is also one of my favorite prompts like yours, and it's um, one of my favorites because I have had the best answers come from this prompt, and this yep. really forces you to be personal. Um, you know, I think, and that's frankly why I like all of these, is that they're very targeted. It's hard to write a super generic essay with any one of these prompts. Now, it can be done because I've seen kids <laughs> sometimes do that, <laughs> but generally it, it does force students to really kind of think about themselves, and what they pick is usually always a good reflection of who they are. So, um, like I said, my, my only caveat here is try to avoid the super generic, so don't pick, like, happy, um, perhaps, although I've had students pick words that were um, not overly specific. I had a student write um, optimism was their first choice, or was their uh, word choice, and, and but he did a great job of describing why he was an optimistic person and how he went into different challenges with kind of a positive perspective and how that how he really believed that affected the outcome of these situations was about his kind of perspective on things. So I have rarely seen this essay done poorly. Yeah, it definitely requires a little bit more of a creative approach because is it, are you writing about a word that you feel describes you? Are you writing a word that you feel describes a situation that you encounter? Are you just someone who loves language? I've seen that done successfully um, where, uh, but it, it's, it's it's almost difficult to help someone I come up with what they'll write about. I feel like you either have an immediate reaction, ooh, I want to write about this word, or you don't. And if you don't, you may be better served by moving to a different prompt. Um, totally agree. I think if you feel you try to force this, you're going to pick some word that's not really a good reflection of who you are. 
Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Second option, option B, we are a community with quirks, both in language and in tradition. Describe one of your quirks and why it is part of who you are. So I also like this because, again, it's bound to be personal. Um, that said, I think it's, it's important on this one to focus less on the quirk itself and more about what the quirk kind of tells us about you. I had a student this year um, write a great essay on how photo editing, she kind of had a session with photo editing, um, and that that was kind of one of her quirks, but she kind of went on to talk about how um, this is a good reflection of who she was because she is one of those people who, who sees things that other people miss. Right, so not just in a photo, she could remove something or exaggerate mm. something or insert somebody, you know, into the picture or whatever the case may be. But she was really observant of the, her surroundings. She was the one who noticed the kid in class who, you know, had been unusually quiet for the whole week and would kind of reach out and say, "Are you okay?" And um, so it was kind of a reflection of the the greater whole. So you know, I've seen people again do well on this. This is the, one of the few though that I do have a slight red flag on is that to be careful. You know, not to sound crazy, right? A quirk can be cute. A quirk taken too far makes you sound nuts. Um, so I've had a few times where I've had to tell somebody, you need to tone this down or re- rewrite this um, in a different way because how I'm reading this without knowing you makes you sound a little off kilter. So I had one person um, talk about how they really liked a sense of order. And, and one of their examples was they'd like to eat all of one food before another one. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had another person talk about how they like to save everything. But, uh, you know, in one case, they sounded a little OCD. The second kid sounded a little bit like a hoarder. Um, so, again, quirks taken too far are not always a great thing. And so, then this is that's my only red flag on this one is to make sure that if this person really doesn't know you and this is the only thing you're giving them, that you sound fun and quirky and not like you're in need of um, some serious therapy. Right, exactly. And the other caveat I would throw out there is it doesn't have to be a fun quirk per se. I mean, the the road is littered with students attempting to be fun and funny who are not either, and that's fine. Not everybody needs to be the fun, quirky friend. Um, you can have something that's quirky that isn't necessarily fun, but um, to Karen's point, if it makes you seem crazy, that's not ideal. Um, so trying to read it from the perspective of someone who doesn't know you is a great, is great advice. All right. Option C, student self-governance, which encourages student involvement and initiative, uh, is a hallmark of the UVA culture. In her fourth year at UVA, Laura Nelson was inspired to create flash seminars, one-time classes which facilitate high-energy discussion about thought-provoking topics outside of traditional coursework. If you created a flash seminar, what idea would you explore and why? So this is really just a way of asking what interests you, right? Mm -hmm. If you could create a class on something, you know, what would you like to do it on? And um, so it's just, again, I think this is kind of like the first one. Like if there's not an obvious thing that comes to you, this is perhaps not the right essay question for you. But think about, you know, you don't always get to pick that you have to take calculus in college or you have to take, you know, intro to English or, you know, whatever the case may be. But if you could really dive into something, um, you know, quickly, um, very pointed discussion on it, what would it be? And again, I think this is really just a great way of quickly being able to tell an admissions officer um, that you have interests um, outside of, you know, the usual, you know, disciplines that you have to, you have to take in college or in high school, as the case may be, and in, in what would you want to talk about and why, right? I think, the, the, you know, the why here is also, it's always important, Right. Yep, so absolutely. often I think kids answer part of a prompt and they forget to answer the whole prompt. Um, and so, you know, my biggest piece of advice for anybody always answering a supplemental question, whether it's UVA or not, is make sure you're answering the entire prompt. Um, and so I think one of the mistakes sometimes people get on this is they, they talk about the first part and forget about the why part. And frankly, the why part is by far the most interesting part of the, the answer to an admissions officer because that kind of tells them about how you got you know, to this, this idea in the first place. Right. And to that point, if you look option A, B, C, and D, all four of them have why in their, in the question. Um, So it's clear that the why is super important. And, you know, the only other thing I would add here is that I um, encourage students to really think through, okay, what is your seminar going to be? And definitely have it be a little left of center, right? If you wanted to do biology, okay, but make it something more unique, like the biology of 
betta fish or something um, and and explain it in a more interesting way so that it doesn't look like any generic run-of-the-mill biology class. Um, but I, I also have had students have a lot of success with this one, provided they include that the why piece. Um, all right, option D, UVA students paint messages on Beta Bridge when they want to share information with our community. What would you paint on Beta Bridge, and why is this your message? So if the last question was really a way of just asking what interests you, this question is a way of asking what's important to you. Um, I have seen people um, write on this in any number of ways, um, and I'm trying to remember what one of my favorite responses, I can't remember what it is she wrote was, but, and I think I, this essay might have gone around, you might remember it, Beth. There was somebody talking about how they only keep a certain number of hangers in their closet, hmm. so that okay. if they ever buy something new, they had to take something out. And it was more about, she wrote it, and I'm not going to do it service here at all, obviously, but um, it was really talking about nodding, not... Um, kind of, uh, you know, holding on to things that you, you know, that, that you know, she appreciated um, not being attached to material things and whatever. Again, I'm not doing it a service at all. Um, it was a really great essay, um, but it was definitely very quirky, right? And, but it was something that was important to her. Um, I would also say that if you participated in any significant form of activism, this is definitely the essay for you. Um, so if you are, you have a political cause, a social cause, a, you know, whatever the case may be, something that you're a very big believer in, this would obviously be a way of demonstrating that that may not um, be afforded that opportunity anywhere else in your application. Um, so I would also say that's another way of kind of going about this. Got it. Okay, good one. I think to Karen's point, as we go through this, I'm thinking this is really one of my favorite supplements. And if someone to ask me today, what's your favorite one? I might actually say UVA. So those are your four that you get to choose from. Now, you actually are required to write one depending on the school at UVA that you're applying to. And um, what I like about these is that these are also fairly atypical, um, or somewhat atypical anyway. Certainly, the College of Arts and Sciences is atypical. Um, their question is, what work of art, music, science, mathematics, or literature has surprised, unsettled, or challenged you, and in what way? So, I think the biggest challenge I see here is that, too, I think so often kids go to literature, right, because people are always reading books. I think that's the kind of obvious knee-jerk reaction is to write about a book. The problem with that one is, is and I've seen it done very well about a book, so don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this can't be about a book. But often it turns into a book report. Um, yep. And I think that's what's the challenge about when you pick a book is that um, you need to describe enough of the book so that the reader knows what the book is about in case they haven't read it, which is an entirely likely possibility, but not so much that it eats into what is not a very large word count, right? You have 300 words. If you've got to use a few lines, even letting the, you know, the reader know roughly what this book is about, you could eat into that 300 words really quickly. So mm-hmm. the key thing is, um, is to give them just enough to know the basics or whatever's important about the book so that the rest of your essay, you know, can be understood even if they haven't read it. Um, I think that also the key thing here, and I tell kids this every year, is to reread the prompt. What does it say? It says, surprised, unsettled, or challenged you. It doesn't say, what was your favorite book and why? It doesn't say, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite algorithm in math or, you know, whatever the case may be. Unsurprised, unsettled, or challenged has the potential to be words. These can be looked at pejoratively. You might not have liked this piece at all, right? Yep. That could be what you write about. I actually, one of the best essays on this I ever read was a, forever ago, but it was from a kid who actually hated a piece of artwork originally, but she had to write a paper on it for, um, for the class she was in. She was actually studying abroad in Spain. It was part of this abroad program. And having to write about it, made her start to actually appreciate different things about it that she had kind of originally gone unnoticed. She started the essay like, I hate this piece of artwork, this is not really art, and then turned into like her favorite piece of art ever. Um, But it was a good example of, you know, she didn't really like this. It's not always that way. And so to make sure you don't look at it this way, because that's, again, it's not an ode to this thing that you like. It's something that's really challenged you. All right, we have to go through the others really quickly because we're running tight on time. Um, College of Engineering and Applied Science, if you were given funding for a small engineering project that would make everyday life better for one friend or family member, what would you design? 
So we assume here you like engineering. I don't want to hear about why you like engineering. I assume you like engineering if you're applying to the College of Engineering and Applied Science. This is, again, letting us know what you value, right? So, again, read the prompt. It also says everyday life for one friend or family member, so this should probably be personal, and it's yep. small, a small engineering project. We're not talking about curing cancer here. That's a, not, and not that that's really engineering either, but, right, small engineering project. So reread the prompt. Make sure you're answering it the right way. Yes, great advice. School of Architecture, describe an instance or place um, where you have been inspired by architecture or design. So I think this is going to weed out people who just think architecture is cool from those who really get what goes into it. I've had a lot of clients, sometimes a lot, maybe a stretch. I've had quite a few <laughs> clients say, oh, I want to study architecture, but really don't understand how much math and science goes into architecture. Like, they just appreciate, like, oh, it's pretty, and then the, kind of the design element, and not understanding kind of the technicalities that go into architecture as well, right? It's a combination of both of those things, and I think this question is really trying to get at people to weed those kids out, because if you, don't, if you can't really answer this question or you don't even have an idea, architecture probably isn't for you. Right. The next two, I feel, go together, School of Nursing and the Kinesiology Program. School of Nursing asks... School of Nursing applicants may have experienced shadowing, volunteering, or working in a healthcare environment. Tell us about a healthcare-related experience or another significant interaction that deepened your interest in studying nursing. Kinesiology asks, discuss experiences that led you to choosing the kinesiology major. Um, any advice, quick advice for either one of those? So the only thing I would say is that both of these are usually majors where we're looking for some kind of experience in the field. I have never met a future physical therapist, somebody who wanted to study physical therapy as an 18-year-old, who hadn't been in physical therapy. That's how they realized they wanted to be a physical therapist. I'm not saying that's a requirement yep. by any means, but almost everybody in nursing, kinesiology, physical therapy, athletic training, whatever, has had some kind of experience which has led them there. And this is really what they're asking you to tell them about how did you end up here, because again, almost universally, somebody's had some kind of personal experience. Right, exactly. Great advice. Karen, thank you so much. Thanks to all my guests for joining today. Next week, Ian is going to be here talking about whether or not senior year grades matter. Hint, yes, they do. Um, in <laughs> office hours, we'll be doing some more supplemental essays. We'll be talking about understanding net price calculators. Um, and if you have questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, and don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.